Hello and welcome to the Ideas Sleep Furiously podcast. I'm Matt Archer. Today I'm speaking with Leandra Ram. Leandra is an American singer and actress known for opera and musical theatre. She studied classical voice at the Manhattan School of Music and is generally just an incredibly accomplished individual. However, I'm speaking to Leandra today not about anything musical, but about her origin story, because Leandra is a product, an offspring of the Repository for Germinal Choice, colloquially known as the Genius Sperm Bank. The Sperm Bank was founded by a man named Robert Graham, and the first baby was born on April the 19th, 1982. Leandra would be born just two years later. Leandra's parents had three children in total. Her two half-siblings were from another sperm donor, also from the Genius Sperm Bank, and we talk about that in the interview. Leandra knew that her father was a very accomplished scientist at a major research university, and thanks to the power of consumer genetic testing, she managed to track down who her dad was just a few years ago. So we talk about all of that and more. But before we get into it, I want to announce that this is the final Ideas Sleep Furiously podcast, at least with me at the helm solo. Future episodes will be co-hosted with the wonderful Jonathan Anomaly, who has been on the podcast before, and also written an article for the Ideas Sleep Furiously Substack. We have recently relaunched the Substack, we're now hosting writers, and you can find some fantastic articles up on the Substack already. And on the main YouTube channel, we're going to be uploading some short films. So there's a preview of our first short film on the main channel at the moment. It's called The Dissident Psychologist. So you might want to check that out. The link is down below. But without further ado, I give you the final episode of Ideas Sleep Furiously Season 1. Here is Leandra Ram. Okay, I'm here with Leandra Ram. Leandra, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, you know, I first, as I told you over email, I first came to, uh, to find out who you were because I was watching that Robert Plowman Intelligence Squared uh, okay. conversation with, uh, there was Paige Hardin and she had some, uh, there's another woman on her team who I think was like a parenting expert. And then there was Nancy Siegel with Rob Plowman, who was, uh, she, she's a twins researcher. It's a really interesting debate. And right at the end, they go to Q&A. And there's this really annoying Australian moderator who's cutting people off and saying, you've got, make sure it's a question, make sure there's an upward inflection. And they come to, I think you're one of the first people. Um, and you, you, you introduce yourself and you say, you were, I think you say, I, I'm a product, I'm an offspring of the um, repository for germinal choice, colloquially known as the Genius Sperm Bank. And I was like, oh my God, this is fascinating. Like, I imagine you were invited there or something. You, you can tell me in a second. Um, and this guy, this moderator is just like, okay, okay, yeah, you get, get, get to the question and cuts you off. I was like, what are you doing? This, this is so interesting. Um, so you, I think you got like 10, 15 seconds, you asked your question and then we, we heard nothing more from you. So obviously I'd heard of the genius sperm bank, Googled you, and then here we are. So could you perhaps, first of all, how, how did you, how did you come to that debate? And then could you tell us the story that you perhaps could have told the audience if that mean Australian man had given you more time? Ah. So I remember being in New York, I was there for a visit, and I heard about this debate. I can't remember if it came into my email or, or some, somehow I heard that it was happening, and it seemed really interesting, so I wanted to hear the debate. I was very curious what they thought. So it actually was not planned. When I got there, I just mentioned to them about my story, and I said, oh, this is very um, applicable to my life. Would mm -hmm. it be you know, okay, if I ask a question, they got very excited and they said, oh, sure, sure. So it actually was not planned. It was just kind of like a spur of the moment thing. And I found the debate really interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly, but I remember the audience being very swayed. You know, I guess that's the whole purpose of a debate, like mm. who is the most convincing side. But uh, it is a really interesting argument about nature versus nurture, like what's more important. Um, my belief is always that it's actually both. I think both are important. Um, and I think um, the nurture part, in my opinion, is actually probably more important. And that's kind of what the debate 
led to as well. That's what everyone in the audience kind of believed. But just having that natural, um, those natural abilities can really give you like a head start. So mm-hmm. I was curious, you know, what they thought in the debate. And that happened shortly after I found out through 23andMe who my biological father was. So I was really intrigued at that time period because it was like oh. on my mind. You know, I just found out about it. So, yeah, let's, let's, let's go to the beginning where all good stories should start. <laughs> when did you first find out? that you were sperm donor conceived? I don't remember because I was so young. I think I was about two, two or three years old. I honestly don't remember the moment that my parents told me. And I think it's because I was just so young that it just, I, I always kind of knew this information because I think they must've told me, I asked my mom, Oh, when did you guys tell me? And she said, you were about two or three. But yeah, I don't remember the moment, actually. I just always remember knowing that my dad is my dad, but he's not my like biological father. Um, and they reinforced that message with more details and you know, nuances. And obviously, as you got older, to allow you to understand it in your own way and process it in your own way, I imagine. Right. Exactly. So when we, what are your first memories then? Do you remember being two and three? Um, not particularly, but, um, I just remember, so my dad actually passed away in 2018. Um, not my biological father, but the father who raised me. And we had a really close relationship. Like it was wonderful. Like you would never know that we were not blood related. And I actually attribute that to my parents making me so comfortable with Mm, with it and mm. telling me when I was so young because uh, there was never anything awkward. I just always like, that's my dad, you know? Um, And he was an amazing father, like incredible. And he raised the three of us. I have a brother and a sister as if like we were his own kids, you know, he loved us so much. Um, So yeah, I don't really remember them telling me. Um, I just kind of always knew. Yeah. I I mean, it's, I, I can't imagine how difficult that must be. Like, obviously, uh, you know, people probably listening to this, uh, I imagine most of them know my story. Um, and I'll, I'll put the, uh, the article below. Um, but yeah, I mean, originally, because I didn't know the story, right? I had to find out for myself. I was like, did, you know, did my mom cheat, right? I was contacted through 23andMe by a woman claiming to be my half sister because we shared 23% DNA. And so we had to go through that process. Um, and, you know, I think probably a uh, man raising children that aren't his own children, if he doesn't know, if he's been deceived, is probably the worst thing a woman can do to a man. Um, and, yeah, you know, obviously, the, the, for evolutionary reasons, which we don't need to go into, you know, there's there's a deep need for paternity and to be certain. And you know, I'm very very interested in all of that science. But even after that became it beca- became apparent that that wasn't the case, I still just couldn't wrap my head around. I mean, it's amazing, right? Because it, they they wanted me that much, and obviously, you must have felt the same thing. But for for a man to do that, that really is something. I mean, that that's a special man, right? So so let me just clarify. My dad was all 100% on board with this. Yeah, yeah. So he was okay with it. So my parents tried to actually have children naturally for eight years. And that when they went to numerous doctors and finally they A figured time. out that- Right, and then they figured out that he was infertile. Um, and that's when they made the decision. They had many different options. They could have adopted, they could have just chosen to not have children at all. They had all mm-hmm. these different options. Um, and for various reasons, they ended up at this particular sperm bank. Yeah. But yeah, my dad was was all all for it. You know. How did so? How did you actually get to that particular sperm bank? Was it you read an article in the magazine? What happened? So this is the. It's actually kind of funny. Um, my grandmother, so my mother's mother, was watching the Donahue Show, which was like a television daytime talk show, an American daytime talk show. And they were interviewing this boy named Darren Blake, who was 
kind of like the poster child of this sperm bank. And he was reading and writing and doing all these like amazing things at a super young age. And my grandmother saw this and she called my mother. This is the story I heard from my grandmother and my mother, how they told me. And that she called and she said, I have the perfect solution for you. You should do this sperm bank. And so my mom called and that's how everything started. That's how the ball was rolling because she's happened to see it on a daytime talk show. And they were happy to have willing customers. Very happy. So this was, you know, shortly after they, my parents found out that my dad was infertile. So they mm -hmm. were in like the mode of like trying to figure out what to do next. Yeah. Um. So they called this genius sperm bank, the repository for germinal choice. And what a lot of people don't realize is that it was absolutely free. Like there was no cost. I've heard a lot of rumors of like, oh, it was only for rich people. And that's mm. like not true at all. It was completely free. The only thing my parents paid was like $1.99 for shipping and handling. Like it was, it was like no cost at all. Yeah, so, yeah. It was crazy, right? Because you see like Harvard women selling their eggs for like $30,000, you know, mental, you know, I think men selling their sperm for, you know, similar amounts. So I guess it's uh, not an unreasonable assumption that you, you might have paid, but incredible that, yeah, I guess it was, uh, it, I mean, it, his, the, 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 the founder, um, his vision right. was to be, for it to be that this charitable enterprise, right? This kind of like act of um, social engineering. Right. So this was one of the first ones. And then from that, the whole business of like, you know, egg donation and sperm donation started where it became like a mm -hmm. big business. But this was kind of like the first one. So, um, yeah, there was no charge. And what happened was they sent my parents a catalog of all the different donors. They were color coded. So to reveal, you know, to not give the identity uh, of anyone. And then the parents would go through the catalog and then request the colors. So I believe the color that I had was clear. That was the name that of, of the donor that they picked. And my parents picked that donor because they believed he was the closest match to my dad. So they picked clear and um, it was like, pretty simple apparently like they just they mailed the sperm and it was huh. kind of an experiment like to see what would happen you know i mean i they think they did a lot the of sperm yeah fedex fedex because we lived in new york at the time so it was from california to new york they shipped I thought it. it had to be kept in like controlled conditions you know frozen and... yeah it was frozen it was in a frozen tank right okay but i think okay. that we didn't pay for that we only paid like nothing basically and like they just did everything. I think they were very happy to have, yeah. you know, people that were willing to try this experiment. And the thing is that about my parents is that they truly needed it. Like they weren't trying to mm -hmm. just have genius kids or like, yeah, yeah. but they truly wanted to have a family and they, they thought, you know, what do we do? My grandma saw this thing on the talk show and they said, this seems like a good option for us. And that's why they ended up there. So it's, it's fascinating. Um, <laughs> Now, perhaps we should also, before we, before we go into more detail here, say that you, you've got uh, siblings, but they're not the same sperm donor, right? Correct. So okay. the rule that they had at the repository was that the donor could only have 10 children and then right. they were closed out. Then you had to go to somebody else. So um, also I want to mention there was a lot of health screenings. You know, they made sure that there was no you know, diseases or anything like that. And, uh, but there was this limit of 10 kids per, per donor. So when my parents were ready to have a second child four years later, they said donor clears no longer available. Right. Um, so that's when they had to pick a new color. And I believe it was fuchsia that they picked for my sister. And then three years after that, or two years, three years after that, uh, fuchsia was still available, so they used the same color for my brother. Yeah, so I mean, this makes sense. I think that has been the 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 rule in the UK since the nineties. So I was um, born in ninety one. When were you born? Eighty four. 
84. Okay. So yeah, I, so I was IVF as well. So I, again, I'm like on the, the cutting edge of that technology, I guess it was still relatively new in the early nineties. Um, so 84. Okay. So, uh, you're being told the story. It's been re reinforced, um, from a very young age. Um, and so it's just totally normal. Um, exactly. Right. It's very normal. For, I'm very comfortable speaking about it. I feel like to other people that hear it, they may think this is completely crazy, <laughs> but to me, like, I'm just so used to it because I don't know any other way. I don't yeah. know any, anything else. So to me, it's just normal. And you, you said, I know I've, I've, I've read, um, I think interviews and I've, um, you know, with, with your half siblings as well and seen these, uh, clips on YouTube back in the, uh, the eighties or the early nineties. Mm. And it, you can, you can see that, um, you, know, you have this wonderful relationship with your parents and it looks like your siblings as well. Um, so I imagine that, you know, as, as you were saying about your dad earlier, this was just never really an issue. You just didn't, there, there, there was no awkwardness right. and right. your parents were very comfortable, at least outwardly with, yeah. with all of you. There's yeah. never any tension. No, no. And I, you know, I, I'm so sad that he's no longer with us. You know, it was very difficult when he passed away because uh, we were so close. The last Thanksgiving we had together, it was so special. You know, it was it was all of us together as adults. And um, it's one family. Like I said, you would never know that yeah, we yeah. weren't all blood related because it was it's just so um, filled with love. So tell me and about your parents then. I know your mom said you said your mom was um, was it a piano teacher? She's a pianist and a dancer. So she's okay. a Isadora Duncan dancer as well as a pianist. Okay. And what she's did your dad do? Actually, she's still, she's in her seventies and she's still completely <laughs> healthy and like dancing and playing the piano. And, yeah. And your um, dad? My dad was a systems manager at a technology company in New York. So he did like typography and um, computer work on, on the computer back, uh, when the Macs were like coming out when they were like kind of new, he was like big into Macintosh and, um, working with a company that no longer exists. It was called line and tone, but he was there for many years. Now I'm aware that Americans, uh, for Americans, middle-class is essentially like normal and mm -hmm. you know, over here, middle-class is like, you know, it's a bit more refined. So I know we, we, you would, perhaps we could use the word educated. Your parents were certainly educated, clever, um, you know, cosmopol cosmopolitan types. Um, they obviously gave you this amazing upbringing. Um, this, this is interesting, right? Because, um, I, I, on one of the interviews, your dad said, you know, I like to think that even if it had been, um, you know, my, my sperm, my bi biological child, uh, we, it might not have been that different. Um, mm -hmm. and there's, this is, this is really interesting because there's kind of like a, um, um, a selection bias, right? The people who are going to go to a sperm bank like that, and you know, think about these things, are already probably going to be, you know, clever, educated people. So, you know, it turns, it's, it's likely that you already had, you know, the potential for really good genes from your, you know, your, mm. um, your dad and your biological mum. So, um, yeah, w would you say your background was, you know, fairly, yeah, educated, and it's, you know, a pretty, you know, your parents both college educated. They were um curious individuals yeah we, we were definitely middle class growing up in new york city we had this beautiful little island that we lived on called roosevelt island which is a little sliver of island in the east river yeah mm -hmm. it's technically part of manhattan but it's not it's like a little separate place and it was the most wonderful place to raise a family because it felt like you were in a suburb or a little town, but you were like 15 minutes away from the Big Apple from New York. Wow. Um, and yeah, I, I felt like I had a great childhood because of that. You know, I had access to see Broadway shows, to go to the Metropolitan Opera, all these things at my fingertips. But then we would come home to this nice little town. You know, it's, it's a very unique place. Um, and my, yeah, my parents are both college educated. My dad spoke French fluently. He huh. was an incredible cook. He would make these like amazing meals. Um, my mom would perform with her dancing and her piano playing um, 
which I got to look up to, you know, I think that was really important for me to see that, you know, she would play for dance companies and I would sometimes go to the classes and while she was playing the piano and uh, for the Isadora Duncan performances, sometimes I would dance as a child in the performances. So it was a lovely, you know, opportunity, but we were not rich or anything. We didn't have like tons of money. It was just yeah, yeah. Comfortable. nice comfortable right yeah yeah well i mean i will have obviously given an introduction um to you know who you are now what you're doing with music and how successful you've been with your career and, and we'll get onto that in an interview but to take me back to um school i i i remember in the youtube video i think i can't remember whether it's like cbs or you know some some broadcaster you know they came and did an interview with you and um in one of these interviews, it was said that you had been tested for an IQ over 135 or something. So it's like top 2%, top 1.5% of the population. Do you remember, and you had in, in that interview, you're a little girl and you said, yes, I, you know, I, I am very clever. Do you, do you remember finding school really easy? I remember uh, excelling in math. I found math okay. extremely easy. Um, I remember in high school, I was like in the top of my class and I didn't even have to tried that hard. It just kind of came naturally to me. Um, some subjects I found very easy, like English. Other ones I didn't like so much, like <laughs> chemistry. Um, but I did well in school. I always did well in school. Um, and I, I worked hard. And um, my dad actually helped me with my homework a lot. I remember when I was like needing help with it, he would sit down and help me, which was really important, you know, for the subjects that I didn't feel as comfortable with. Uh, like chemistry. I remember chemistry. <laughs> but um, yeah. So it, I mean, was there ever a, um, a challenge at school? Like did, did, did it no. ever get to the point where it was, it was quite easy? What about you? Did you go to college? Yes. Manhattan School of Music for voice. Okay. For voice. So okay. in high school, I started to get very serious about singing. Okay. Um, so I went to the Manhattan School of Music Preparatory Division as well. It was like an, um, a program uh, after school and on weekends. Um, and then I would sing. I started to like really get serious about my singing. So then when I went to college, I went to a music conservatory, which was specifically for vocal performance mm -hmm. and music. So... When you were a teenager, were you a big reader? Um, yes, but I was also extremely focused on my singing at that okay. point. I remember going to the Metropolitan Opera all the time. I would get like student rush tickets and, uh, is that where it's like $5 and you can you know, sit <laughs> in the front row or something? Right, right. Well, I think it was like 10, $10, $20 back then. Um, and you you could see these amazing operas. Yeah, um, yeah. And I was very intensely into my career. I was already like very focused. I was doing competitions, um, learning operas. I was doing summer intensive um, programs where I would go to different places and sing for the summer. I did a program with Washington National Opera when I was in high school. I did one with um, San Francisco Conservatory of Music when I was also in high school. So just incredibly um, driven. Yeah, I was very, I started to get very focused when I figured out, you know, what exactly I wanted to do with my career. So, um, yeah, I still, I mean, I read books and everything, but my focus yeah. was really started to become opera and class and music. So, um, I'm, I'm really interested in intelligence. Um, and you know, I, I've read you know, a, a good chunk of the scientific literature and I'm, I'm sure you know that it's kind of partitioned into the fluid intelligence, right? Like you basically like your working memory, how much you can hold in your working memory and crystallized intelligence, which we can basically think of as um, just like long-term memory is there's a slight difference, but that's, that, that's the, those, that's the partition. Um, so having that raw computing power that you did, um, and I'm, you know, maybe that like you went up, I, I imagine it was uh, quite a you know, young age that it was measured. Was it measured by an official, you know, a, a, a accredited psychologist? Yeah. I remember very, very vaguely going to a place like a office or something very right. vaguely. And I remember doing the tests, but it's a distant memory now, but I, I do remember that. So 
this this would probably mean that you um you you, you could read quickly you could process information um very quickly and absorb it um did, did you was that the case like you, you can, do you feel that you can go for a go through a book quite quickly and also retain the knowledge mm. without much effort is that still the case today yeah so with my field i have to memorize different languages very very quickly um sometimes like for example i just learned an opera in a week where i had to oh. memorize a whole it was extremely difficult um and i literally had one week to do it and i just i focused and i just got it done which are you I using did. memory techniques for that or is that just kind of like you know brute force i'm going to just repeat 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 um a lot of repetition i do have some hacks where i you know use imagery and i try to associate words with um different visual things but um yeah i do have some techniques on that but a lot of it is just practicing so um, how, how much information is that an entire opera in a week i know yeah. nothing about opera how much is it's, that like it's uh it's quite a bit it's it's like uh, a 300 page book let's say which is like an opera oh my God. and then i'm learning my role which is part of that you know in total maybe it's like um it, it's hard to to put it into yeah. pages but you know it's like my character sings then someone else then my character sings so a lot of the time you're not only memorizing your part of but course. you're also yeah, yeah. memorizing the other person's part so you know when to come in um there's duets trios quartets solo arias so you're not only memorizing the language but you're memorizing the notes um and a lot of these languages you know are just things that i've learned over time how to have a, a familiar sense with like for example yeah. right now i'm singing an opera in russian i don't speak russian but i've learned how to you know have a natural tongue with it and to translate the words and so, so language cool. has been like a big thing for me because it's so important with with what i do it's not just like i'm playing music that has no language associated with yeah, it. yeah 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 so um yeah, I, I and I do stuff very quickly. Like sometimes I, I tend to like use that not to my advantage because I'll say, "Oh, I can cram this in yeah, a week." Classic. So I'll cram this is this. classic giftedness. Yeah. Right. So when so. I'm, I'm writing a book on giftedness at the moment, and one of the things I found is that gifted kids very much, very often, they fail to uh, develop what psychologists call executive control because right. they're like, "Oh, look, if if I could do my maths homework, you know, when I was seven, without even you know looking at the book, and I just do it in thirty seconds, why would I need to practice now?" And they go through school with that attitude until it gets difficult, and then when it does get difficult, they're like, "Oh, I don't have the skills to actually handle this," and then. Often right. you know, like they hit a wall, but this didn't happen with you. No, um, but sometimes I do tend to to cram things because I'll take mm -hmm. advantage of the fact of like, oh, I can probably learn that super yeah, quick. Yeah. So, <laughs> but um, but you know that's more of like a, a time management thing. But um, in general, I find you know I, I learn things very quickly. Well, make make the most of it because uh, right. speed just goes down like that. <laughs> right. You know, once you're past your thirties, uh, yeah, it's it's depressing to look at those those charts in that literature. Mm. But um, you know, I also am a firm believer of if you use it, you're not going to lose it. You know, yes. I think because I'm using my brain so much all the time every day, it's going to continue to to work for me, or at least that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm glad you said that because I always I always say when people you know, give me a stat and um it's about i know two in three americans you know will get cancer or something like okay one you know <laughs> two in three americans are either overweight or obese so i don't think this really applies to me right and you know, right. most people don't live the 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 best life you know the most healthy lives so yeah i totally right. agree like you can't take these general stats which are often scary uh whatever yes. they're about and think yeah that definitely applies to me i mean noam chomsky calls calls that the bicycle theory of you know just if i just keep pedaling then uh maybe i won't fall off i i think there must be something to that right because mm. you know uh maybe it's just good genetics or maybe yeah, maybe it's probably a bit of both but yeah i do i do think if you just keep your brain active yes. i think the data has started started to show that this is kind of a uh um you know, a firewall against alzheimer's and dementia Definitely. later on 
um, like learning, learning instruments is one of the things that, which I think has been shown to really um, keep your brain nimble. And learning languages as well, yeah. which yeah. is what I'm doing. I mean, I'm not necessarily learning how to speak it fluently, but I'm translating yeah. what I'm singing word for word so I can, you know, become familiar with all these languages. Yeah, yeah, C certainly um, it's the same, same mechanism. So, okay, so school, and then you go off to specialize and you're, you're driven from a young age. Um, could you talk about your, your siblings then, what your siblings are doing at, at this time and your, your, how your relationship was with them whilst you're, you, you're this very driven teenager who's like, I know what I want to do and I'm going to go mm -hmm. for it. What were they like? So my sister, Courtney, is a dancer. So she kind of followed in my mom's footsteps. Mm -hmm. um, and she studied ballet and she does modern dance as well. And she has her own dance company now. So she's teaching kids um, dance in her company, Ram Dance. And she uh, has her own kids herself. And she, um, she and my mom actually work together a lot with dance since they're in the same field. So my mom helps her with her company and um, she's doing a Nutcracker coming up. Uh, <laughs> and then my brother, Logan, has autism. So he that is the one thing I do remember my parents telling me. That, is, that I do remember when I was young and they just came back from uh, the assessment and they told me that... Uh, Logan has autism and that he's disabled. I remember them specifically telling me that he was disabled. And so you would um, have been how old then when they told you that? I was about nine, maybe. Nine. Yeah. So this nine. is this is again Logan's sperm donor was also um, a member Courtney. of the um, uh, the sperm genius bank. sperm bank. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, which is interesting, right? I mean. That, that can't have who, been expected. Yeah, I know who he is. I found out who, who both donors are. Huh. Um, and I found out who my sister and brother's donor is too. Um, but uh, yeah, he has autism very severely. So he still lives with my mom. He also was very close to my dad. Um, and so now my mom and him, uh, they live together and he goes to a day program during the day. And sometimes he goes to uh, a respite program, which is like an overnight program for just like a couple of days here and there to give my mom a break when she needs mm -hmm. it. Um, but he has, yeah, it's a very severe form of autism that he has. Hello there. I hope you're enjoying this fascinating interview. Why wouldn't you be? If you are, I apologize for momentarily delaying your gratification. However, I would like you to head to Substack to subscribe to our mailing list. It's very important that you do so. I post many articles a week there, and we have lots of interesting things in the pipeline. Head on over to ideassleepfuriously.substack.com, and you won't miss out on all the juicy goodness to come. Why don't we move on then to perhaps the most fascinating part of your story? which is how, how you found your dad. I mean, so I, I've been engaged in this search myself. I'm like using a DNA detective and I think I found who it is, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. <laughs> um, so how did you go about it? Well, you could tell me, oh wait, you mean you think you found out yours or mine? Yeah, yeah, I think I found out mine. Oh, yours, okay. Yeah, yeah, Great. I mean like they use a, the, the DNA detective use a um, family tree and okay. they just, it was kind of you know, a bit of logic. I guess if you've been doing this as your job for 10, 20 years, then it looks fairly simple to me. I'm like, uh, I have no idea where to start. Um, so I think that's what they did. What, what, how did you do it? So I joined 23andMe um, a couple of years ago. And I was just honestly wanted to know um, my heritage. That was like the big thing. So I, I went on there, I found out what the heritage was. And then I saw I had like a half sister and a half brother that I didn't know. My <laughs> sister Courtney popped up, but then these two other people popped up. And I sent the half sister a message and she responded like pretty quickly. And I realized, I found out like right away who the donor was. because She basically told me um it, it was her dad it was her dad 
she had no idea that he did this thing with the sperm bank. So she was in shock. Um, and we so met this up. is about seven, eight years ago? No, no. Only like three, three maybe. years ago. Yeah, it was pretty recently. Okay. About three, I think. Um, and then she told me, ironically, her and the half-brother were meeting that day to, for the first time. Um, I wasn't available that particular day, but we, we met up later. And I met with both of them. The half-brother is um, a mathematician, and he's using math as his field. The half-sister is an extremely accomplished um, academic, like extremely accomplished. And then I found some other siblings. It was all through 23andMe. I also joined another one. I uh, can't remember the other one. There's another company. Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head what it was. And then I, I found a couple more. And then we started this like group chat of all these different um, offspring of this donor. So the the half sister, the one who's the, the daughter, she's like in shock <laughs> that this is happening. You know, all of these like new half, half siblings. The aunts, there was like a few aunts on that side, they were like so happy. They're like, oh, you're our extended family now. Like, <laughs> um, and now I have this whole like network of people that are, are like my, you know, family, extended family. Yeah, yeah. Um, and these half siblings that I've met, and it's all within the last couple of years. And on the group texts, you know, we'll all occasionally get updates that two of them have met with each other and like the kids have met and it's amazing that this all came through this 23 and me. Have you met your biological dad? So he actually passed away. He's, he's no longer oh, alive. Sorry. When, when did he pass away? Uh, it was before, before I found it was years before. Oh. Yeah. Was that gutting? Uh, no. I mean, I was like, it was almost like a feeling of, oh man, that's too bad. I can't get yeah. to meet him. Yeah. So how many half siblings are there? So I believe that there are the full 10 because that's what the okay. sperm bank allowed. But, but you we, found... haven't, we have not connected all 10 of us. So far, I think there's about... Um, uh, I think there's six. So I think there's so, four more out there. And they're, they're all quite well accomplished individuals. Most, most of them. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hmm. What has that made you, did, did that make you revisit your, um, I mean, you, you, we, we began by talking about you going to the debate and you, you having this in mind mm. after finding out, did that make you revisit your thoughts about the power of genetics? Not really, because most of them had great upbringings of these six people. They all also had a great childhood and yeah. nobody had any trauma or, you know, anything terrible happened. They all had great parents that gave them the opportunity to flourish. So you felt it was like hard to disentangle the two? Yes. So, But it definitely gives you, I mean, a head start. But I think at the same time, all six of us had, you know, great families that. Yeah. 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 It's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I guess, you know, a lot of us think, um, that, you know, things like intelligence, you know, they're, they're heritable to an extent. I think the, the data show that it's probably about 80% inherited, but then we forget mm -hmm. that things like, you know, personality, are also you know, yes. majorly inherited too. So it's like right. there's, there's, there's nothing that isn't really inherited. You know, everything's about 50%, um, you know, down to really bizarre things like, you know, whether you're a good dancer or not, it's probably about 50% heritable. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's very interesting considering. And I will say there is one of the siblings that, you know, he's doing well, everything's fine, but he's, he doesn't have a job that really requires um, extreme intelligence or, mm -hmm. 
talent. You know, the, the, there's one of us that, and I mean, he's happy. So that's you yeah, know, yeah. just as important. But I think, like you said, personality is also a big, a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not just a golden ticket, is it? Uh, you need right. to do something with it. Exactly. Right. So, um, your, your dad was a scientist who had published major research in his field. Did you manage to find anything else, um, about him from the half siblings, which, uh, intrigued you or you thought, oh, that's, that's, that's cool as well. I imagine that yes. when your parents told you, you would, you just had you know, that, there are a few bits of information like, you know, hair color, eye color, height mm -hmm. and, and, and that, you know, that he was this top scientist. What else did you find out? Oh, amazing things. I was honestly just like humbled and honored when I saw everything that he did in his life. I felt so like grateful that he, um, helped my parents. Um, you know, when I was, so the half sibling, um, came to over to my house and she showed me a scrapbook of like all the things that he did. Uh, unfortunately I can't say his identity. I wish I could, but the family wants to keep it private. Um, otherwise I would share with you all of the amazing, incredible accomplishments, but I was just humbled is how I felt. I remember looking at it and I'm just like, wow, I can't believe that he, you know, helped my parents and here I am today and I'm like his daughter really, which is hard to like fathom because my dad, I was his daughter, but it's also technically I'm this guy's daughter too. And it's just like mind boggling to me. I remember feeling that way, like completely humbled that, you know, he did all of these amazing things in his life and, um, and you know, I'm his offspring, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because obviously, obviously this has been, you know, I've got, um, David Plotz's book here, which I'm, I'm sure you've uh, read yes. for, for people that want to, um, want to find out more about the story. It's a, it's a good place to start. Um, I, I imagine that you've, uh, you've reevaluated, you know, your, your views and your thoughts about your origin story as you've learnt more information. Um, but of course this was an incredibly uh, controversial idea and still is. Um, and now we're at the stage where, you know, embryo selection for things like IQ and you know, even aesthetic things like, do you want a nice, do you want your child to have a nice Roman nose or, um, do you, you know, do you want them to be taller than average? Um, and obviously, you know, personality characteristics too, um, things like being conscientious or open, you know, uh, being interested in ideas and music and art and theater. All of these things are heritable to such a substantial degree that we are moving into the realm of you know, really close to quote unquote designer children. Um, what are your thoughts considering your origin story on, on parents having even more of a say over their child? I believe that if science can somehow help children not get diseases like cancer, things like that, I'm all for that. Yeah. And I yeah. think science will eventually get there where we can, you know, manipulate things so that childhood diseases are, are prevented. But as far as designing specific things, I don't believe in that. I believe let God do the work, like let nature happen naturally. Um, if my parents didn't have this problem of not being able to have children naturally, they would have never in a million years gone to the sperm bank. Mm -hmm. It was only because they couldn't have children on their own. So that's why they went there and it was the best option for them at the time. So I'm not a believer in uh, designer ch children unless it is, like I said, to prevent diseases or things like that. But I, I don't believe in picking eye color, picking hair color, things like that. Um, I believe nature is amazing and let, let's just let it do its thing, except yeah, for, is... you know, certain problems that could come up. This I have really three children of, of my own. So as a mother, I appreciate so much the natural differences between my three children and that I, I would never change them for anything. <laughs> it's good to know. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're happy to, to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I imagine the, the, um, 
the yeah that like that argument is a very powerful one for people because the um I mean, in in the bioethics literature, there there is essentially that argument that you've just made advanced, which is um, you know, the importance of uh, biological diversity, right, to the wider gene pool. Um, yes, is 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 something that it's very hard. I mean, I, I'm I'm sure you've seen like these, you know, the Netflix documentaries on like gene editing, editing, and things like this, and uh, you know, our power to do this in uh, nature. You know, not talking about um, homo sapiens, humans, talking about, you know, being able to remove, um, you know, uh, certain, you know, ticks, right? Removing like Lyme disease or something from ticks. Mm -hmm. And you think, oh, well, that's just an un un unalloyed good. And then once you speak to the scientists and the ethicists, you realize actually it's often more complicated. That doesn't mean, you know, I'm not an expert, so I, I'm, I'm not sure I have a, uh, a, a firm view on that. But, um, you when you mess with something even it's you know, classic butterfly um, effect, right? Mm -hmm. you know, chaos theory, you, you mess with something small and with good intentions, removing a horrific disease that can really make people's lives hell. Um, but it can have, well, it obviously will have um, um, unknown side effects on the wider ecology. So to then mess with the human genome, I think uh, there are still many bioethicists who hold that view. So yeah, it's, it's interesting that you kind of came to that position through through your own, uh, yeah, your, your own story and in, yeah, interfacing right. with, with, uh, I guess being at the forefront of this mm -hmm. very odd, <laughs> very <Right>. odd, <laughs> um, yeah, odd man's dream. Um, so if, if this is this, say someone started a genius sperm bank, um, today, you would be all for that. Um, I would be all for it, but with specific requirements okay. like you know you, you're infertile or there's some type of medical reason why you can't have children on your own um and it's really not even i don't think i would call it a, a genius sperm bank i would just i mean i would call it something else like uh selection where you get to select you get to um, decide the future of your of your family, but it, but it has to be for like health reasons. There there has mm -hmm. to be a reason why you're coming to this sperm bank, and it should just be that um, you know you just you want to make a selection like my parents did of somebody that is per se like similar to 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 yourself or something like that. So it, it wouldn't be exactly the way it was. I would like if I was yeah. owning this or starting my own business with <laughs> it. Um, I would change it, change it around quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, well, famously, there there was um, an Olympic gold medalist, right, in the uh, in amongst the sperm donors. So it wasn't just it was it wasn't just all academic times. That's um, actually the the donor of my sister and brother. Yes, yeah, I think I remember, yeah, hearing about that. So um, that yeah, that's really interesting that they weren't just going for um, academic types; they were looking for accomplished people in all areas of life. I think that's really again, it goes back to the biodiversity point doesn't it um i think they were also just looking for good people like you yeah. know someone that was just gonna be a you know i don't even know how to say it somebody that uh wasn't just a bum on the street you know yeah, 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 <laughs> that they yeah. could know a little bit about the person because back then in the 80s there was hardly any um selection at all my mother told me this crazy story where when she went into one of the, the doctor's offices uh, back then, mm -hmm. one of the medical assistants was like, well, I could, I could donate to you if you want. Like <laughs> there was like hardly any selection. Regulation, so think, though, yeah. Right. Exactly. So I think, uh, what my parents liked about it was that you could actually see a little, little bit of information about the person. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, um, did you watch that Netflix documentary on the, uh, the doctor who had like 80, I think even more, yeah, eighty plus kids. No, I that, didn't. That's precisely what he was doing. Yeah, I'll send it to you after this. Um, it was uh, in in America, and oh, wow. yeah, precisely because no one was looking, um, he exactly. would go to the other room, get the sample, and give it to the woman. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, this was all in a small town. It was in a small town, and eventually, obviously, through 
you know, 23 me and these other services, uh, they all found each other and yeah, wow. horrific story. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there we has be to be regulations for sure. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess like we, well, you, especially 84, that, that really was, um, yeah. Uncharted territory. Mm -hmm. like it's incredible that yeah, in, only in America would this, would this really be allowed? I don't think even in the UK that would, right. that would fly. Um, um, when I spoke with my half sister, I remember she said that, um, Robert Graham, the founder of this mm -hmm. sperm bank, approached her dad. She found out later somehow, I can't remember the details, but she found out that like he approached him and he made it known that it's for a good cause. He said, I'm trying to help families. Would you donate? And he did with the intention of helping families, not mm -hmm. with the intention of you know, oh, I I'm so amazing. I'm going to just you yeah, know, yeah. have a billion kids. It wasn't about that. But some people do do it for the wrong reasons, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There, there are weird, you find very weird stories that pop up every now and then. Like when you actually search for, for um, that video of you guys, um, another story pops up and maybe it's just, you know, the, the algorithm, the all seeing algorithm, it knows uh, what I want to watch. It's a story yeah. from, I think this year or last year in the UK, about a man who has, um, I think, over fathered over six hundred children, mm -hmm. and this is because it's private, right? He just he finds people on these Facebook groups, and I've looked into this um, partly for a potential research project. Um, it's really horrific because these are desperate mm -hmm. women who, um, you know, often don't want to, for whatever reason, go through the official channels. You know, sometimes it's uh, you know just financial costs. Um, or maybe they've tried IVF and it hasn't worked. So you know, men who are often goodwilled and often not um, will post saying, "I'm I'm available to donate." And you hear horrific stories. You know everything mm -hmm. from you know, physical abuse and rape, um, you know, to just weirdos like that who, right. for some reason, actually make it their full time job to oh be gosh. a private sperm donor. I think that's totally i mean just from a biological standpoint that's awful you think about yeah. the potential for siblings half siblings to um you know, date and well uh, that's the reason why the sperm bank that i came from limited yeah. it to 10 that was the primary reason yeah yeah i think that's uh that's why they do it um in the uk too and generally um do you did you find out any more information about the sperm bank that you know, people might find interesting do you know like for example why it ended up closing so Robert Graham um, passed away. I think it was 1993. I could be wrong with that year. Um, and when he passed away, I believe um, his wife just shut it down because he was really the one that was running it and it was his mm -hmm. baby. It was his thing. So um, I think when he passed away, they just, they closed it down. The secretary that was there for many years um, was a great person. My mom um, communicated with her all the time. She was like the the face of the of the sperm bank. Like anytime she had questions about the catalog or anything, she would like talk with her. And um, she, I think, worked there the whole like twenty years. And um, I saw a, a documentary recently where I saw her being interviewed, and she talked about it. Um, and she had, you know, a lot, a lot of close relationships with the families that would come to the sperm bank. Um, and uh, I don't know, you know, I didn't know much about it, but I do remember meeting Robert Graham several <laughs> times. He came over to our house for visits uh, and he was a really sweet guy. Like I was just a kid, but I remember him being like a grandpa kind of figure. Um, and he was just seemed like a nice, a nice old man, you know, <laughs> like in my childhood perspective, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, he's, he's like a grandpa kind of figure. Um, and I remember him being really sweet and he would just kind of visit every couple of years to see how we're doing and how we're progressing. Um, yeah. So, um, it, it was basically, a, as you understand it, um, a kind of a one man oper operation, save for the incredible secretary. And that's why right. it, uh, it ended up folding after his death. Right. Well, I don't think I have any more questions. Uh, do you think there's anything we've missed? Is there anything we should let people know about your 
your story or about the 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 sperm bank in general or you know similar similar stories um well i'm here today because of a sperm bank and you're here yeah. today because of a sperm bank so uh i'm grateful for them because they allow you know we wouldn't be here talking to each other if it wasn't for that I think that they can really help the world when used properly and used for families that need them. Um, you know, I think that um, Robert Graham did have good intentions and um, it's been amazing to me to meet my other family the last couple of years. It's been like eye-opening. They've come to some of my performances um, it's quite incredible that we happen to live pretty close to each other. Like I live here in California and my half sister lives like very close by, which is kind of amazing. Out of all the places in the world, we, we both happen to be here and, um, they've been extremely supportive, like coming to my shows and, um, I've developed almost like a, a friendship with all of them. It's not necessarily mm -hmm. like a brother sister feeling. It's almost like I have new friends. Like I have a new yeah. network of people that support me and I support them. And it's, it's quite a cool thing. So it's yeah. almost like, you know, I'm in my thirties. Then now it's like a whole new network of people is like in my life. And it actually is like very comforting because I never in a million years would have thought I would have ever met my biological family. I was on so many TV shows growing up and I figured to myself, he must've seen one of those shows. <laughs> so I was like, he's never going to come out. Like he's, I didn't know what happened, but I was like, I'm never going to meet him. His family never going to know anything about this other part of me. It's, you know, there's no way like he would have emerged by now. Yeah, That's yeah. what I thought. And then just a few years ago with this amazing new technology we have, it's like, boom, all this whole like new group of people. It's like in my life and we're all connected and it's amazing. It's so I'm all for technology. You know, I think that it's, it's so great that now we're all connected. Yeah. I think that's a, such a nice note on which to end, uh, the, the, the note of gratitude. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I would also like to, um, like signal boost the, the fact that your parents seemingly did everything right. You know, I, I, I can't blame my parents because, you know, they were working class, very working class and, you know, working class people often tend to do what they're told or, you know, what the, they, they go along with the cultural currents. And I, at, at that time, it just wasn't, um, I think they might've even been explicitly told by the doctors, you know, uh, you or you know, counselors probably don't want to, you know, tell the child because, you know, maybe trauma or something like this. I mean, again, it's the early nineties, but your parents clearly didn't have that advice or if they did, they <laughs> certainly ignored it and they, they did the right thing. Because now if you look at the, the literature, you know, there's just a total consensus that the right thing to do is to tell the child basically as soon as they are, you know, cognizant, as soon as they um, can understand anything, try to drip feed that, um, you know, that information, um, in. And obviously that, that, that meant, uh, I guess you had a very well-adjusted, um, childhood and yeah, I mean, what a, what a lovely note as well for the, the fact that you just, you never felt any, um, disconnect between, especially your dad, but either, either parents. So, I mean, yeah, more than just gratitude. I think the, fa the fact that it can be done right, you know, I've, I've spoken to some people before and they've said, it doesn't, doesn't sit right with me. The fact that, you know, your dad would have had to have signed the birth certificate and that's that's a lie in some i mean i know we can call him your dad because you know, his dad isn't necessar necessarily restricted to biological you know, obviously that's how you know, i don't think my dad isn't my dad because it's uh you know we're not biologically related of course but you know to some people it just doesn't sit well and i think the the thing that probably you would emphasize like me is you know if you've got two people who are in love and really want children i mean you, you said your parents tried for eight years um, I mean, these people really deserve children, right? They're probably going to be really good parents. Right. Exactly. They want to be parents. Yes. Yeah. And combined with, you know, doing the right things, telling you, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think we're both in agreement that it's a, yeah, it's a wonderful story. So thank you for sharing it and for coming on. Hopefully oh, uh, my, my you know, people find it, find it valuable.
Oh, yeah. I hope that um, it can help anyone who's maybe looking to, you know, adopt or whatever that yeah. you know, it doesn't matter about blood. Like I feel so, I felt even though he passed away, it's like that love will never die that I have for mm -hmm. my dad. And um, yeah, so I hope this can help people and uh, happy to share my story.